702. The Africa Report with Crystal Odison. The Africa Report is brought to you by SAA, the ones who fly SAA's growing route network, now flying to Sao Paulo, Brazil, your gateway to South America. Very good morning to you, Crystal. Let's focus on stories from the continent. It's less than a week before Zimbabweans go to the polls. Are we expecting to see anything different from elections past? Good morning. Good morning, Bongani. I wish I could tell you something radical will happen, but I think so far all indications seems it's just going to be business as usual. Bongani, you know what I found interesting? If you look at Emerson Manangagwa, he's 80 years old. The main challenger is Nelson Chamisa, who's in his 40s. And so you can imagine that kind of just total different thinking around the economy, around what needs to happen. Um, you know, just the future of Zimbabwe. And of course, both parties have been active um, in campaigning. Of course, Chamisa's um, coalition, Citizens for Coalition, haven't had an easy time. Lots of their rallies, um, you know, of course, the police through tear gas, etc. So it's not been easy. Of course, the main issues, the economy, the currency, you know, literally is lost about 86% of its value. Um, civil society groups, of course, already saying out mm, the elections, you know, oh, is it going to be free and fair? That's a difficult one. Um, of course, the big issue in Zimbabwe has always been Bongani, the rural voters, still very loyal to ZANU-PF. In the cities, we have, of course, always been supporters of um, MDC and, of course, Chamisa now. And um, what, what I do find hopeful, there's um, a lot of international observer groups that previously weren't in the country. They are there, eyes and ears you know, for us to see what's happening on the ground. But in terms of change, Bongani, I doubt it. So next week, Wednesday, we'll see. And of course, we'll keep talking about it and see what the outcome of that election will be. And of course, what happens in Zimbabwe necessarily spills over to South Africa. Crystal, let's look at another story now. The World Bank punishing Uganda essentially for its draconian anti-gay laws. Yes, Pungani, and this should really be welcome because I think in the past, international donors have really looked the other way in a lot of issues around democracy, around human rights. And here, the World Bank, which is a big lender to Uganda, have actually said their goal is to protect sexual and gender minorities from discrimination. And therefore, they're going to put a hold on any new funding because there has to be consequences, Pungani, if you think that you can simply do different things and still look the other way and receive millions. Of course, um, you know, this the passing of this controversial law um, in May is described as the harshest law in the world. And, you know, it literally prescribes the death penalty um, in some same-sex acts. And, um, you know, of course, the Ugandans are saying, look, they won't be threatened and it's inappropriate to um, uh, do these things. Museveni also coming out, criticizing the World Bank that they won't be pressurized to drop the law. But in the same statement, you know, they say they will engage. The reality is, Bongani, a country like Uganda receives millions of dollars in aid from the European Union, from the US, from the World Bank, from the IMF. So you can't just look the other way when your donors are saying, well, this is about human rights. And so we also know that the US and Biden in particularly have also said they're going to relook at their funding. So I do think it's an interesting case study, Bongani, to look at. Yeah, a country wants to pass draconian laws against human rights. They still want to receive millions of dollars in funding. Um, and ultimately, what will donors do? 
Sadly so, Bungani, it's obviously the poorest of the poor that will be impacted, but I do think it has to there has to be some thinking around countries and the laws that they enact that really impacts on the human rights of others. It's an interesting conundrum because do we use institutions like the World Bank and the IMF as an institution to get certain countries in line with a particular way of thinking and seeing the world? There are those, of course, who will say this is exactly what's been wrong with the Bretton Woods institutions. On the other hand, can you ignore this kind of direct assault on human rights?